Okay. This is the Tasty Bets Pod. Follow at Tasty Bets Pod on X, Threads, and Reddit. Subscribe to the Tasty Bets Pod on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to partake. I am your host, Dino DeCespedes. And as always, I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Grant Engel. What is up, man? I'm doing well, buddy. Trying to stay safe, happy out in these streets. Uh, For anyone who hasn't heard, uh, completely unrelated to anything that might be happening in the sports news cycle, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, commonly known as the CDC, released its recommendation on September 12th that all people six months or older should get an updated COVID-19 vaccine in preparation for the fall and winter season. Uh, The CDC's release says, quote, Vaccination remains the best protection against COVID-19-related hospitalization and death. Vaccination also reduces your chance of suffering the effects of long COVID, which doesn't sound pleasant. I I editorialized that part. Uh, Back to the quote, which can develop during or following acute infection and last for an extended duration. If you have not received a COVID-19 vaccine in the past two months, get an updated COVID-19 vaccine to protect yourself this fall and winter. End quote. And give you a little personal anecdote there. I simply went to vaccines.gov. Can't get much simpler of a URL than that. I typed in my zip code. I clicked on a link to my local Walgreens and I scheduled a group appointment for me and my wife in about 10 minutes. Goes a long way. Obviously, I don't need to tell you anything that the CDC and medical experts and scientists have determined through rigorous study. I don't need to tell you anything other than that. So that concludes this public service announcement via the CDC through the Tasty Bets pod. Now, I'm prepared to win some money with you. Well said. We are recording this Wednesday night, so plenty of time to watch, listen, and get your picks in before this weekend's action. Before we hit the stats, though, quick reminder to please always bet responsibly. 1-800-GAMBLER is a resource available to anyone out there having a hard time. And if you had the over one and a half PSAs on today's show, congratulations. Last weekend, betting NFL... Your boys finished up two-thirds of a unit. Let's go. In the black, baby. Let's go. (laughs) It's a winner. That included big wins on your Dolphins Chargers over 51, which I co-signed. And just before kickoff, I snuck in an Eagles minus three and a half full unit, which also cashed. So all in all, nice weekend for your guys. And I think the congratulations are in order. You cashed your Aaron Rodgers under 3,950 passing yards uh, in just uh, about 11 minutes. Four total snaps, five if you're counting Aaron's Achilles. Mm. In all seriousness, though, you hate to see a legend go out like that. Hopefully, Rogers finds his way back onto the field at some point. You can always check the Tasty Stats Google Doc if you want more details on how we did. With that out of the way, let's bet some NFL where you want to get started. Well, buddy, you mentioned your foresight to bet the Eagles minus three and a half right before your boys kicked off in week one. So let's go back to that well. I want to trust your expertise on your boys, the team you watch the most closely. So please tell me what you think is going to play out when Justin Jefferson and the Vikings head to the city of brotherly love to play your squad. Mm. Well, I'm scared. (laughs) We'll start there. It's fair. (laughs) He's scary. I think the issue is that, you know, Jefferson, I don't think he's ever going to forget the fact that the Eagles passed up on him uh, in that 2020 draft. One pick before he was taken by Minnesota, we... We grab TCU's Jalen Rager, who still got some upside. I think you yeah. know he's he, he runs real fast, and you know he's not good at catching or other stuff. But um, I don't know. <laughs> Jury's still out. I say uh-huh. Jefferson is out of his mind right now, and there's just simply no covering this fucking guy. 
I mean, he's just always open. His route running is like super precise. He's just putting up monster numbers uh, despite having Kirk Cousins as his quarterback. There's just nothing you can do with him. He can go up the field. He can kind of like work in space. Hands unbelievable. And he's got kind of like a knack for the big play. But with that said, I think the Eagles are going to employ like a little bit of a shell on him and maybe like play everybody else one-on-one, let Jefferson work in the short and medium range, and then basically dare Kirk Cousins to beat them. I think we'll see most of Minnesota's offense take place like in between the 20s. And then I think once the Vikings get close we'll see the eagles kind of clamp down as they get closer and closer to the goal line so my first pick for this week i love justin jefferson the over here 110 yards that's an adjusted line so we're getting a little extra juice on that so over 110 you can get plus 142 right now with jefferson going against an eagle secondary that's going to be without Bradbury and without Blankenship. So they're already down two dudes. Ooh, buddy. I really like this one. Is it fair to say that Justin Jefferson is the only receiver in the league who I could make a credible argument is better than Tyreek Hill? It's a good question. I was looking into this to see if there was any data around who gets the most open. Yeah. Last year, the most open receiver was actually the Steelers, Deontay Johnson. Mm. Um, and I think the year prior to that, it was actually A.J. Brown for the Eagles. Oh, sure. I don't think that either of those guys would be in that Tyreek conversation. Right. But I think you're right. I think it's just those two. You might be able to look at like a Kelsey in there. You know, oh. obviously we're going overlap into the tight ends, but... I think Kelsey could have a a day just as scary as either of those two guys, just because he's just as uncoverable. Cooper Cup probably at his peak. I think those four guys are, I think, have the highest ceilings, you know, outside of maybe some of the younger first, second, maybe like third year, you know, receivers that are are still kind of coming into their own. Yeah. I think Stefan Diggs has had like moments where he's like in that orbit too, but yeah, not to get too off track, but yeah, I think it makes sense that the Eagles would kind of employ exactly what you're talking about like this kind of bend don't break strategy okay we'll let like you pointed out jefferson work in the intermediate game let him get his catches just wrap him up so he's not sprinting 50 yards downfield for a touchdown even though that wouldn't exactly hurt our uh, our chances for this over and i love the phrase and i have to imagine it has been said dozens of times uh, up to this point <laughs> but make kirk cousins beat us i that has to be yeah. that's got to just be written Somebody accidentally wrote that in Sharpie on the whiteboard because fuck it, you might as well just leave it up there and you can bank on him making a critical error at some point. If you let him beat you, he can't beat you. Sure. But if you just if you make him work at it and you make it a little bit difficult for him and make him kind of like throw it over the top more than once or get some pressure on him, have him move around, the ball's going to come out. Something's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so I think like whether that's a fumble here, taking a bad sack at one point or you know throwing a bad red zone pick, I think he's good for you know, one, maybe two of those. That leads me to my second pick. Under 44 and a half, this is another alternate line at plus 164. So the unadjusted line here is 48 and a half. I'm essentially expecting them to miss out on a red zone opportunity or two. You know, whether that's like I mentioned, a turnover, a fumble, a drive stalling out, they go for it on fourth down and, you know, it's like fourth and four and they throw a two yard out, you know, that the, the receiver drops anyway. Mm-hmm. They're always good for that. You know, Vikings going to Viking, Cousins going to Cousins. If I'm shaving four points off the total, that's essentially a touchdown getting swapped out for a field goal. Yeah. And then I've got my 44 and a half and I've got my big injection of extra juice going from a minus 110 to a plus 164. That's pretty interesting. No fear that the that the Eagles might run it up. I know they didn't, the offense didn't exactly look dominant against the Patriots, but the Patriots have a, a pretty good defense and the Vikings 
have a pretty porous defense if, uh, from last year, if I remember. What kind of score are you expecting? Like, what does this feel like? I think it probably feels like a 24 to 13, 24 to mm-hmm. 15 type game. Yep. You know, Thursday night's rough with regard to a turnaround. That's true. Philly had the four o'clock game in New England. Not a, not a super long trip, but it's on the road. And now they've got to come back and play on Thursday. They're going to be down their RB1, Kenneth Gainwell, who had a nice week one. I mean, yeah. I think he got like the first four touches of the game, first four or five, something like that. Sirianni's kind of like playing up, you know, the DeAndre Swift factor. I think because he's a name that we know, but there's a reason that Swift wasn't the starter kind of going into week one. Taking those those good vibes that Sirianni's putting out about Swift a little bit with a grain of salt. Yeah. I do expect a professional win from the Eagles, but I don't think that they're going to throw the kitchen sink out here. They're already one and zero. This is a very winnable game for them. And if Minnesota doesn't look threatening, maybe you sort of crank the volume down a little bit on Jalen Hurts and you know get him more into that game manager you know territory where it's like, all right, we've got this team. Like let's just work out some of our stuff. And and I kind of made a note to myself that I I could see this one taking on the feel of like sort of like a fifth or a sixth preseason game. You know, just because like sure. the scheduling's kind of so weird, the, the opponent's a little bit weaker. It's not a division opponent, you know. So this is just one of those where you know, I don't think we're going to see the Eagles at their absolute best here. That makes sense, and I think it's very much on the board. I mean, the Vikings losing at home to the Buccaneers after you know they have this great regular season last year, a great regu- regular season, by the way, in which at no point it felt like anybody of any real influence ever believed in them. Like when they had such a great record throughout the regular season, everybody was like, yeah, but I don't think they were ever considered a real threat. Then they go and they get trounced in the playoffs. And then they come out here and they lose at home to the Buccaneers. This might be big fraud alert hours here. Like (laughs) where, how ugly could this season get for them? And could the only bright spot be Justin Jefferson puts on a show every single game and we just keep giving them the ball. I think it's pretty telling that like of all the picks we heard in terms of like who we, who people think is going to win the NFC North, it's always like, oh, I like the Packers, maybe after Rodgers and oh, the Lions are coming up and like, you know, I'm going to get wacky. I'm picking the Bears and so it feels like nobody's picking the Vikings to win. Yeah. Uh, and I think kind of with good reason, like Cousins kind of has a little bit of that Tannehill feel to him where it's like super duper stale and it's mm-hmm. just like, all right, this is not going to work with this dude. Like, you know, what, what what's the plan here? So those are my two picks. I'm taking the under 44 and a half alt line plus 164. And I'm taking Justin Jefferson over 110 yards plus 142 as well. I don't know. Can I, can I rope you into any of these two? I think your rationale makes sense for them to exist at the same time. Like if they're able to do the bend, not break, he can get over 110, but then it still stays under 44 and a half. I'm going to roll with, God, I just, I'm not, I, I think I trust you. I trust your judgment. I will not tie my fate to Kirk Cousins. I will in fact tie my fate to Kirk Cousins not producing points. So let me, I'll hop on the all line under with you. Ooh, I like that. All right. I'm going to full unit for both of these. I love um, that. <laughs> let's go. Nice. Yeah, life is short. We're already week two. <laughs> I mean, what? We, we won, uh, what? Uh, what was it? Three quarters of a unit uh, last week. So let's go. <laughs> two thirds almost. Two thirds. Um, right, but but we'll, 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 we'll hit the college football update a little bit later too. Oh, yeah. Um, where we finish in black as well. Half unit, full unit. What do you want to do for that under 44 alt line? Let's go full unit here. Let's fucking go. That's what I'd love to hear. Get that plus 164. Hell yeah. So, switch gears here. The opponent that the Eagles faced in week one, the New England Patriots. There's been some line movement with this one. So, this one is taking place Sunday night. Dolphins at the Patriots. 
And uh, you could get the Patriots right now plus three. I thought the Pats played the Eagles really tough. I thought Mac looked really solid. Third highest passing yards total of his career. Three TDs and a pick. And he just looked like a competent NFL quarterback. The thing that really stuck out to me kind of was his poise and like pocket presence. You know, the Eagles got some pressure on him. So he was sacked twice. He was hit four times. And he was hurried 17 times. Uh, and it's and if not for that kind of fluky, like kind of unlucky pick six, maybe this is kind of like a different game altogether. Final score there was Eagles 25, Pats 20. Um, so the total on that one was 45. So that's right around uh, under 44 and a half that I'm looking at. So that first game finished right in the neighborhood. So I like that. But I don't know. I, I like the Pats here plus three. And one quick thing that I have as well. So Belichick's obviously got some game planning experience for Tyreek. So I think he's going to have some stuff here. And this is something I, I brought up, I think, a couple of weeks ago, kind of like my convergence theory that tells me like when two comparable teams are playing each other, their records tend to move closer to each other. Mm. If there's a 1-0 and an 0-1, like, and they're comparable, usually by the end of game two, they're both 1-1. One one. Along that rationale and considering that home dogs in night games that are nationally televised have like an unbelievable record. I also heard that I think two is three and zero against the Pats. I'm not sure Belichick, you know, is going to take too kindly to to that stat. Um, right. I don't know. I, I think I'm happy to look a little dumb here if I lose this one, but I think the Pats essentially find a way, you know, to win at home and at, at the very least cover that three point spread. That gives me really nice coverage, even if it's like a 14 13 or a 26 24. Dolphins win, I can still kind of finish in the win column with this one. You nailed a lot of really great points here. I mean, Belichick getting points at home in a primetime game. Yep. I would be interested uh, to see how often that has happened, really. That might be a Mac Jones special. Now, I know I've, <laughs> I have been pretty low on Mac Jones uh, for the entirety of his NFL career. I do think it's funny that this is a battle of two Alabama quarterbacks uh, one I believe is far superior to the other. Now, I mean, we've discussed this on the pod. I was, I grew up largely a, a Dolphins fan, a Dolphin fan, if you will. <laughs> so I want to see them win. I still have a real soft spot for them. I still mm. root for them. And it's funny, like we talked about like Tyreek Hill earlier. And like you mentioned the ability to get open that touchdown he caught against the Chargers. He was not open at all, but to a tongue of Iowa threw it what appeared to be through the shoulder pad of a Chargers defensive back <laughs> and, and Tyreek Hill was still able to catch it. But man, your theory on two teams kind of getting closer to each other. It's a divisional game, man. I, I love Tunga Vailoa so much. I let me, let me ask you a question here. I feel like sometimes my caveman brain is just like, if he stays healthy, He's great. And I is that an oversimplification as you kind of being, even you being from Miami, being more of a, of a third-party observer here? Is it as simple as if he stays healthy, he's awesome and Miami has a chance to go far in the playoffs? Or is there, are you, are you afraid of some of his other limitations? I'm not really afraid. I checked into the Panthers, weird segue here, but I kind of wanted to see what Bryce Young looked like on an NFL field. And to my eyes, he looked fine. Like, yeah. He was able to move. He was able to kind of like throw over the line. I mean, his size didn't really seem any kind of issue. And two has got kind of like a thicker body, like a little bit like a Russell Wilson type body. For sure. Uh, he's not as elusive as, you know, Russ is, you know, so he ends up taking more shots. And I think he's just kind of like less cognizant of that part of the game. 
But with that said, he's still a young quarterback, like ascending. So it's not like he's Dak, right? Who's at 30 years old and, you know, you're just like, oh, okay, well, if he gets, if he plays all 17 games, like, you know, we'll, we'll, we already know what to expect from it. We don't know what yeah. Tua's ceiling is. You know, he's still yeah. a very young guy. And to my eye, he's gotten better every year, you know, injury mm-hmm. or no injury. So it's like, who's to say two years from now, he's not going to be the best quarterback in the NFL. Like, you know, like you just don't know what his ceiling is. Just kind of a lot like Jalen Hurts. He's improved his decision-making as well. Yep. So I think just like any other NFL player, like, yeah, if he can stay healthy, I mean, he's going to be a problem, you know, especially with that McDaniel offense, those weapons, even watching a guy like Mostert in Miami, he just looks like big and bruising. And like, you just, it's, it's such a mind fuck because you watch like these like guys flying around and then you watch Mostert, who's also pretty fast, but just yes. kind of like mow over dudes. You're just like, oh shit, they got this too. Like, it's like, it's pretty, it's definitely something like the collection of offensive players they put together. Mike McDaniel has stepped in and done a really good job right away. And I do think there's something to, and this, I don't mean to make this like Dolphins corner or whatever, but like the past head coach, Brian Flores uh, from the Belichick coaching tree, like he really kind of kneecapped to a, uh, like early where he was like, had hey, was indecisive about playing. And it was like pulling him out of games and shit. And, you could tell from the way Flores talked about Tua like early on that he was not sold on him. He probably didn't co-sign the draft pick and all that shit. And I just feel like that was pretty foolish from the start. And I like Flores as a as a head coach. I thought he like he helped Miami with a bad roster win more games than they ever should have won. I think he's a absolutely a good head coach. I think he was just he didn't see what he quite had in Tua. And it's probably because when he was so young, he saw him when he would get hit. And I totally, I copped to this, like Tua would get ragdolled on some of those hits that he yeah. was taking. But I feel like, yeah, he's, he's put on muscle and he's doing better now. But this is all to kind of circle back. I like that you point out like a 26-24 Dolphins win is still good. You could see something weird too, like a 27-26 or a 28-27. Either way, I'm going to hope to thread the needle personally but I think, I mean, <laughs> Belichick at home and the Dolphins defense, I mean, obviously Justin Herbert has good weapons, uh, but their defense did not look awesome out there in L.A. Uh, so, okay. All right. I'm going to go. I'm going to ride half unit with you on this uh, Patriots plus three out of respect for uh, for Belichick. Hello. Yeah. And I think one thing that we can say, I mean, we're not sure what the Dolphins offense is going to look like. They might be the number one offense in the league this year, but it could also be a little bit of an indictment on that Chargers defense who could be, they just couldn't do anything. You mentioned that one Tyree Hill catch where it went through somebody's shoulder pad. He also caught one where it just looked like they were just running a practice route out there and like nobody was even in the frame. I wouldn't count on that happening against the Belichick coached uh, uh, team. Well, like I said, you know, maybe I'm a dummy, but I'm happy losing this one if I'm on the wrong side of it. And actually, like most of the week, I had Dolphins penciled in. I'm like, oh, man, they look fucking awesome. Uh, but then as the week kind of progressed and I, I rewatched the Philly game and I I thought more about like what Mac looked like, you know, Mac might be on that same trajectory. Like a lot of the things that they were saying about him, he's like, OK, well, he has, he's got like these physical limitations, but, you know, he's got the spirit. He's got the, you know, all of the leadership. He's got. You know, just sort of like all the what's usually kind of like the intangible bullshit. But that really shone through in that Philly game. Like he looked poised. You know, he threw the pick six early in the game. Like a lot of quarterbacks would have just fucking rolled over at that point and been like, all right, well, we're not we're not winning this one. 
But um, yeah. credit to him, like, you know, he kind of stood in there, took shots, got back up, you know, made big throws, wasn't afraid to kind of throw the ball down the field. So I don't know. I kind of liked his game. I think there's more evidence that Mac Jones will do stupid shit. And I think there's because he's just appeared in more games. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I You might be talking to the wrong guy on this. I am just such a <laughs> Mac Jones skeptic. Um Fair. That, I mean, he's he's just done some stuff that I'm just like I don't know. I can't I can't trust this guy. He was I felt like he was so propped up at at Alabama that I don't know. And speaking of, I mean, the way I talked about Brian Flores talking about Tonga Bailoa, I mean, <laughs> hearing Bill Belichick talk about Mac Jones is funny. I would I would recommend like checking out some of the clips. I mean, you know, Belichick doesn't exactly heap praise on anybody, but he's he's extra like uh, he's fine. Uh, everybody's, everybody competes for the job. Like it's, it's always, it's like he is very pointedly like, no, I'm not giving this dude that much credit. I'm glad you brought up the Alabama quarterback angle because I've got something. I'm going to bust out the first hammy of the show. So for those uninitiated, a hammy is an Alexander Hamilton. It's a tenth of a unit. It's a $10 bill. We call it a hammy run here. Well, I do. I don't know if, you, if you're on board with that. Oh, Usually you refer to it as a, okay. So, um, so it's a hammy. How about... The Philadelphia Eagles versus the Miami Dolphins in the Super Bowl, a matchup, Jalen Hurts, Tua Tagovailoa, the Alabama QBs head-to-head. You can get that Super Bowl matchup at plus 4,300. Now, these might be the two best teams in the NFL. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Take your pick. You know, Floyd, Pacquiao. Um, fucking Brady Manning, like, you know, <laughs> Steph LeBron, like all the, all the great matchups that, you know, we've, we've kind of uh, wanted to see though. I guess the one we did, we never got Kobe LeBron in the finals, but I think at some point over the course of their careers, we're going to see Tua against Hertz. And it just so happens they're in different conferences. This year seems as good as any plus 4,300. How fun is that? I'm, I mean, I couldn't be more in on this. This is great. I That's all I want to see. I mean, Jalen Hurts was benched in a national championship game and Tua Tungavailoa then threw the game-winning touchdown. Ridiculous. While Jalen Hurts, to his ultimate credit, cheered him on from the sideline. Yeah. So, oh my God, if that, is the, if that is the Super Bowl matchup, I could not be more excited. Let's go. Let's go. This is going in. Great find. (laughs) Great. Let's scoot ahead to our next matchup. What do we have next up? 49ers at the Rams. Mm. The 49ers played on the road against uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. We're probably the most impressive looking team. So they'll get a nice home game in Los Angeles uh, versus the Rams (laughs) here. Because we know goddamn well that Los Angeles is full of 49ers fans. Yep. I'll take my lumps on this one. We didn't bet the the game itself, but uh, the Rams looked way better than I expected. I think they generally looked better than most actual experts uh, seem to think as well. Agreed. The Rams, they couldn't really do shit running the ball against the Seattle Seahawks, but they didn't need it. They racked up 27 first downs. They just consistently moved the ball down the field mm-hmm. in, depending on your rooting interest, just a uh, soul crushing fashion and uh, <laughs> Matt Stafford looked uh, looked pretty comfortable back there. The 49ers defense, especially their defensive line is incredible, but I will say Sean McVay is a genius and he schemes up quick routes that allow Matt Stafford to kind of utilize what's left of his, of his physical tools to get the ball out quickly to his pass catchers and, and some open space. 
And then you have Kyle Shanahan and his arsenal of just absolute fucking monsters. We mentioned last week, and I talked about it, the Jesse Pinkman screaming, he can't keep getting away with this. <laughs> As I'm just watching Brock Purdy, of all people, throw the ball around to all these great pass catchers, I, I thought to myself a couple times, well, he's going to keep getting away with this for this game, at least. Yeah. <laughs> um, what did you see in the 49ers? Because they looked they look like a fucking monster truck out there. Yeah, I think they might keep getting away with it for this game and a few other games <laughs> this season if I had to put some money down yeah. on it. The big breakthrough is Brandon Ayuk. Like, yes, this guy looked like maybe like a two or a three in terms of like somebody you can count on. And then he's just out there leading them down the field, essentially, just with catches in traffic and just making big plays, you know, finding space for himself, playing like a super confident game. Yeah. Maybe he came in with a little, I don't know if he came in a little bit nervy and then he had the injury, you know, and he just kind of, his, his career didn't get off to like the rollicking start that I think people were expecting. And I think he also came in with that, in just that, that loaded wide receiver class. So maybe he felt a little bit of heat now. And now he just kind of seems fully comfortable in terms of what he's doing. Yep. But I didn't think that he had that in him. He looks 100% legit. And now if you have him with like, like you mentioned, Debo, Kittle, you know, McCaffrey, Purdy doesn't have to do all that much, you know, like they can just kind of keep it simple. That defense essentially puts them in a position where even if the first two, two drives stall out, the first three drives stall out, they're not going to be down any kind of like big numbers because of that defense. Yeah. So I think even with the limitations, I don't know, they, they seem pretty scary, but you also wonder, you know, week one, you don't want to overreact to week one, right? So I think it's something right. we're going to continue to monitor. But I really like the angle of looking at the over here, switching gears to the Rams. I think the Rams also looked super potent in week one. You know, McVay had Stafford kind of moving around really well, kind of giving him really nice angles. Stafford looked pretty sharp. Of all yeah. the, like, uh, QBs in week one that looked like they're still in preseason mode, Stafford definitely was not that. And I think you talked about some of the negative Rams chatter going into the season, whether it was like, okay, Stafford can't connect to the young generation or they don't have draft picks. Right. They have no future five and 12 last year, Cooper cup on IR. They lost a bunch of high profile guy, you know, guys like Ramsey, Leonard Floyd, Bobby Wagner, you know, OBJ, you know, the year before that. So people were just kind of like, all right, well, the Rams, I guess this is the downside of the cycle, but you know, McVay and Stafford, when you talk about like continuity, you talk about chemistry, that seems to be paying off big time because now this is a new iteration of this like McVay Rams Stafford, you know, kind of offense. And they really kind of punish Seattle, even without the running game. You know, like you look at what they did last week, 2.3 yards a carry, and they were still able to essentially dominate that game. So I really like the over here. I'm also going to throw in a little St. Louis, Los Angeles St. Louis, Los Angeles, St. Louis, Los Angeles Rams plus seven and a half, <laughs> which has a little extra juice on it. That one actually has been fluttering around eight, eight and a half. But I think even at plus seven and a half, it's a nice number. But I think they're going to stay in it. And, you know, these are two teams in the same division, know each other pretty well. I think the Rams look somewhat legit. They're sort of at home almost. Um, so, yeah, yeah so, so they'll have some fans there, you, you have to imagine. Um, <laughs> right. I also like betting against the team that looked unbelievable in week one, you know, whether that's the Niners, whether that's the Cowboys. I think there's always some value in essentially the lines being overinflated in their direction. That's a really good take. I mean, I think through the course of doing this podcast, you, I, I know you are doing the same thing. We're trying to read as much like gambling 
literature from like sharp gamblers and as we can. And, you know, week two was typically overreaction week where you try to get paid off of everybody overreacting uh, from week one. The plus seven and a half is, is interesting. I think the, the matchup in LA last year, the Niners beat the Rams 31 to 14. Hmm. So if that ends up being closer now, obviously you have like a fully healthy Stafford and they're on the bounce back up, like kind of getting their shit back together between Ayuk and McCaffrey and Samuel and Kittle, like you had mentioned, like we were talking about, I have a hard time thinking that the 49ers are going to score fewer than 28 points. So if we only need to get to uh, 45 to hit the over uh, fun note on that 31 to 14 game uh, last year, that was Jimmy Garoppolo was the, was the quarterback <laughs> of the 49ers. And that was Christian McCaffrey's second game with the team. And McCaffrey threw a touchdown pass in mm. that game. Just to remind any anybody who may have forgotten how Kyle Shanahan actually felt about Jimmy Garoppolo toward the end of mm. his run. I just think you're going to have a hard time keeping the Niners from getting four touchdowns or getting the 30. As good as the Niners defense is, it's going to be hard to get to keep McVay, especially to what you pointed out, the way he was kind of moving Stafford around and, and using his tools. It's going to be hard to keep them from getting 20. So that adds up to more than 45. And I think it could add up to uh, the Rams losing by fewer than eight points. So I, I think that I think that all makes sense. I'm going to make a little adjustment on the fly here because I think you kind of you kind of scared me a little bit. I, I did look at the 49ers total i think it was 27 and a half so it's right around that 28 number that you mentioned so you know props to you for having a feel for that i'm going to put a half unit on the on the rams plus seven and a half just because it's still week two you know i mentioned last week i I don't really like to get fully cooking until you know kind of like week week four is probably like my sweet spot so i'm going to go half unit on this and it sounds like you're going to full unit on the over 45 that's correct Awesome. Yeah, I'm actually gonna. Say, I'm gonna co-sign that. I'm gonna go, <laughs> go half unit on that too. Hey, there, were, there I go. That, I'm, I'm breaking cool. up. I'm breaking up my full unit. I start out this this segment just kind of mentioning the, both these offenses and how potent they've they've looked. So I think this is a super smart call out. So yeah, I'm gonna do half on the on the over forty five and half on the Rams plus seven and a half. I like it. Awesome. So we talked about the Rams coming out and surprising my Seattle Seahawks out here in the beautiful uh, Pacific Northwest. And we took the over in that battle of California. Not a big number, but give me under 47 in this matchup. As we mentioned, uh, it was a rough one for the Hawks last week. Uh, But this game, speaking of that avoiding the overreactions in in Mm -hmm. week one, this game feels like a Pete Carroll special. Morale is low after the loss to the Rams at home. They have a young team, especially on defense, and they've entered the season with some expectations. But it's okay, as I believe uh, those folks in in Boston named him when he was there, when Pete Carroll was the coach of uh, the Patriots. Pom Pom Pete is out here to rally up the boys and and tell them, hey, it's going to be okay. This is the way things go. Um, I'm sure he's out in full force, and him as a defensive mind uh, gets to take a look at Jared Goff. In this next Mm. game. And I will say credit to Goff, who actually has had like a super weird career, like in retrospect of his relatively short career. He was pretty good uh, at home last year for the Lions. But I also think it's fair to bet the Lions, they probably did some partying (laughs) after that victory at Kansas City. Let's just say they probably enjoyed some delicious barbecue 
down in Kansas City. They probably came up to Detroit, enjoyed some delicious pizza. They are probably having a good time. I'm going to take a guess, even with Dan Campbell as their coach, who's going to talk to them about biting kneecaps and so on and so forth. I can feel the letdown oh coming God, yeah. a little bit here. So under 47, Goff, you know, in that win against the Chiefs, he threw for 253 yards and one touchdown. You know, they got one of their scores from a pick six. So I think the, the Hawks game plan, their secondary should bounce back a little bit. And I think the, the Hawks are also going to play Pete Carroll ball on offense, which is run the ball, hold possession, run away and hide and try to grind the thing out. I mean, talk about the week one betting against uh, the overreaction, right? You know, right. I, even, even thinking about like Dolphins Pats, that's another version of this. Yeah. But um, the Lions have to be riding. I mean, when was the last time they were getting this much buzz you know, um, like <laughs> this late into a season, <laughs> just, just a week too. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, I think like the letdown, I mean, this, it feels almost too obvious, Yeah. but I think it makes a ton of sense. You know, the Lions obviously got a lot of weapons. Goff look really good. I don't know, watching that, that Seahawks, I think on both sides of the ball, they looked really physical. Yeah. They kind of got stifled a little bit on offense. And that really, um, you know, kind of derailed the game plan a bit. Had to fall back a lot on the Will Disley as a <laughs> as a yeah. underneath outlet. A little, a little too much for my taste. Yeah. But I think with another week and uh, maybe maybe a better establishment of the run game, you know, obviously the Chiefs dropped a bunch of balls in that in that game. You know, I'm not going to say they gave it away more than the Lions won it, but very winnable game for the Chiefs yeah. that they weren't able to kind of pull out. So I really like this pick here of under 47. Now. There's another option available to us. If you had any interest in parlaying the under 47 for this game with the Seahawks to win outright and a Pete Carroll special, mm. that one is plus 387. It's a good number. You love a good parlay. <laughs> you, you know what I like is that you love a good parlay, but you also say the thing about parlays is that you don't win them. Yeah, you never do. But don't they look great? But the best part is 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 looking at the number and being like, ooh, that's a nice number for this. But, I mean, you know, stupid parlay week one. I think what, what derailed it was like uh, my Steelers to, you know, beat the 49ers. I think you got me all pumped up about, uh, you know, Shanahan and, you know, just maybe this being the end of the, <laughs> the line for, for him. And, yeah. You know, we're not quite there yet. You know, TBP special, you know, we're, we're, we're early. Mm -hmm. You know, 14 parlay in week one of the NFL. Those got to be a low probability of hitting. What I like about this one is – if you expect an under type game that Detroit Lions offense, you know, maybe held in check a little bit, mm -hmm. that plays right into what the Seahawks probably want to do. First of all, let's look at just the Seahawks winning. If the Seahawks win this game, very winnable game, it's probably going to be a game that goes under 47. You know, I don't see the Seahawks winning this game 30 to 21, right? That that seems like, a, okay, that would be like a, a little bit of an eye popper of a score line. Yeah. So if we get like a 16 to 9 you know, or something like Oof, that. Yeah. Um, Seahawks kind of win like that feels, you know, obviously we're going to crush the under and that is the kind of game that the Seahawks would win. So I kind of feel like I'm cheating a little bit. I'm leapfrogging just the Seahawks money line and just saying, okay, well, if they win, they're going to win this type of game that takes it from like a 250 plus 250 plus 260 ish range for just the Seahawks to that plus 387 coupling it with the under, which you made an excellent case for. I mean, I feel like you've talked me into it. I mean, I uh, nope. is this is this a half unit or? 
That's a good question. I think a quarter unit. Yeah. I think a quarter unit probably in week two. It's week two. Right. You know, we don't need to be out here putting the ball in the air 70 times in week two. That's true. Like, it's a long season. I'm going to make a suggested quarter unit on this one. Still a pretty nice take, just under a full unit that we would clear if we hit it. And it doesn't kind of put us out of business in any kind of way if we if we don't. I like it. See, you pulled me back. Josh Allen could use that kind of restraint. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Oh, my God, that guy. He wants to be Superman. I'll tell you what I've been workshopping in my head is because he's our offensive coordinator. Apropos of your shirt, I am curious when the Buffalo Bills are going to hire Willis McGahee. Frank Gore, uh, <laughs> Andre Johnson, perhaps perhaps some people to maybe prop up Ken Dorsey. He may need the assistance. Oh, man, don't do my guy like that. <laughs> you know, um, as you were rattling off those names, I got to give a shout out also too to Jonathan Vilma, who's fucking excellent awesome. calling these Great. games. I mean, I love that guy. I mean, I don't know if it's too early for announcer corner, but yes. we got to give that guy some shout Never out. too early for announcer corner. <laughs> Awesome. So let's hit a little bit of a recap for our NFL action this week. Uh, as always, let me know if I miss anything. I am taking Justin Jefferson over 110 yards plus 142. I am also taking Eagles Vikings Thursday night to go under 44 and a half. That's an alt line plus 164. That's a full unit for me. And are you co-signing that? Yeah, I'm rolling with you on that one. Hell yeah. All right. I'm taking the Patriots plus three at home against the Dolphins. Full unit for me. I believe that's also a cosign. Damn right. Threw a little bit of a Hail Mary out there, but let's get the Alabama Alabama Slamma connection. <laughs> Dolphins, Eagles, Super Bowl, plus 4,300. This is a cosign. The double hammy cosign, again, plus 4,300. That would just be an absolute fucking dream of a game to watch. Hell yeah. What a two weeks that would be leading up to the Super Bowl. Oh, my God. 49ers at Rams, over 45. You are taking a full unit there. I'm co-signing with half a unit, and then I'm also putting another half unit on the Rams to cover plus seven and a half, minus 115. And we're looking at Seahawks-Lions. You're taking the under here of 47, full unit for you, and you couldn't resist. You're hopping on board one of my week two wacky parlays. Give me the Seahawks to win and the under 47. That parlay pays out plus 387, and that is a quarter unit co-sign for your boys. Uh, did I miss anything? I think that's everything. Awesome. All right, man. I think we did it. This has been another episode of Tasty Bets Pod. Follow at Tasty Bets Pod on X, Reddit, and Threads. Subscribe to Tasty Bets Pod on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to watch or listen. And remember to always, always, always bet responsibly. Big thank you to my co-host. Best of luck to you this NFL weekend. Same to you, my good man. I think I'm going to go prop up my leg and fire up some YouTube videos of dudes in their basements talking about medical science. Just got to make sure I, <laughs> I, you know, keep my third eye open. <laughs> yeah. If they've got a whiteboard, they're they're clearly very yeah, smart. Yeah, of course. <laughs> All right, man. All right. Good luck.